0: Okay, we are um, in Acts chapter 15. By the way, I've entitled this series of lessons, Walking Through Acts. We are not running through it, but neither are we crawling through it. But we are finding ourselves in chapter 15, verse 36 to 41. And good news, we passed halfway. Maybe another year to go. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Okay. Okay. The title uh, tonight is The Split, um, and uh, I just want to do the, the recap briefly for those who were not here, who have not been traveling with us. I try to just go back at least a chapter or so, just to give us up to date on the context. In Antioch, uh, the uh, apostles had, had come back from their first nation missionary journey, and they spent some time there, and before they knew it, there were some teachers that arrived there that brought a false gospel. And they came from Judea. They came from Jerusalem. And they seem to have been members of the church down there in Jerusalem. Um, And the text says that Paul and Barnabas opposed these guys, opposed their doctrine, because their gospel, the gospel they brought, said, Jesus is not enough. You need to be circumcised as well. So that was really disturbing for the apostles And so it's sort of the church got together and they said, "Okay, we need to figure out like what's going on here. These guys came from Jerusalem. So I think we need to send Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem to go talk to the elders and the apostles to go. Yeah, like does this teaching come from them? Is this really what Jesus taught? Go back to the original guys who walked with Jesus and go find out what they say. And then they have a meeting there in the church and there's three people who stand up. First of all, it's Peter. Peter stands up and he says, Now I was in Cornelius's house and I saw the spirit fall upon these Gentiles and they weren't circumcised. God was showing to us he accepts them through faith, not through cutting themselves. And then Paul and Barnabas stood up and they said, hey, we've just come back from our first missionary journey. And we preached the gospel in various towns. And we saw God do tremendous miracles among the people. That for me is evidence that God was reaching out to these people apart from the law. And then James stands up. And James says, hey, guys, I think, you know what? I don't think we must make it hard for these guys who's turning to God. Uh, for the Gentiles who's turning to God, we need to make it easier for them. So don't don't load them up with all kinds of rules and laws that um, we couldn't even keep as Jews. Uh, let, let's not do that. And then, and then this 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 council or the, the, the elders and the, the leadership of the Jerusalem Church then decided, okay, we're going to write a letter, and we're going to send this letter to the church in Antioch, and they can have that with them. And maybe they they took it with them. And spread it to some of the other Gentile churches, and basically, then they just say in those letter, in, in that letter, that's what we dealt with last week. So, here are four things that you will be good to think about. Okay, As if you're if you're a Gentile, and then you or you were a Gentile, and you now you're a Christian, you know, don't worry about circumcision. Don't worry about becoming a Jew. Rather, look at your pagan roots. Don't worry about becoming more Judaic. Worry about your pagan roots. Like, for example, four things. Don't eat the meat of strangled animals. Don't eat blood, and um, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Okay. So, so these are things in your pagan roots that you gotta cut off. And then, fourthly, the uh, sexual immorality. Stay away from sexual immorality because the pagans did this over and over again. So, essentially, you know, I thought about. I didn't s- talk about this last week, but when I just recap this today, I, th- I thought to myself, you know, it, it wasn't. It, it had very little to do with Judaism. It was more about the, the pagan background. And so, instead of saying, become a little bit more like Jews, he was just saying, become less like Gentiles, okay, as you progress in your, in your relationship um, with Christ. So, Paul and Barnabas, together with Judas and Silas, Judas and Silas, they were two prophets, they go back to Antioch with this letter. Beautiful, beautiful story. They don't... It, it, it's wonderful. The, the, the postal service is incredible, but it's better when somebody carries the message, when you have the messenger with the message, and they go and they, they give it to the church. And those two guys, Silas and Judas, they return back to Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas stay in Antioch after the letter has been served. And there they preach and they um, teach continually the word of God. That's where we ended off, what happens next. So Paul and Barnabas is back in Antioch. The church is going on. And where are we? Now, a few questions. As you know, I like to sometimes do. How often do you receive encouraging messages from people randomly? And what I mean is is this. We can expect messages from God's people when we are sick. But do you receive calls or messages from people when you are not sick or nothing is wrong? Just somebody thought to just encourage you. How often does that happen? And um, secondly... If you do, how does that affect you? How do you feel about that? Do you think it's, it's got value to your life? And, and in which way does it have value? How often do you have people visiting you? Just visiting you. Not because they want something or they want to discuss something. Just saying, hey, let's just chat, man. Just want to hear, see how you're doing. How often do you get that? And how often do you do that? Um... Thirdly, <laughs> do you know some Christians whom you cannot stand? you can be honest. You can keep it inside of you. Don't worry. Just keep it inside of you. Like, it's, like, it's like you would not miss them if you never see them again. And you feel bad about it. But it's just how you feel. Anybody want to confess? No, I'm just taking all of you. Um, have you, have you ever experienced a long-time conflict that got resolved? You know, what does that feel like? Isn't that an incredible experience? When the tension is released, when the conflict ends. And then lastly, how do you handle confrontation and conflict? Because that's sort of what we're going to deal with tonight. We're going to see, we're going to see high-ranking leaders in God's church in conflict and disagreement. Okay, without further ado, let's start with the first verse. Acts chapter 15, 36. Sometime later, remember now, Paul and Barnabas, they're busy teaching in the church. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord. And let's see how they are doing. Let's see how they are doing. The word visit there is episkeptomai, which means to look upon, to inspect, to look after, just to see how they are. Something that I think we need to do for each other as well. Just go see how your brother is doing. How your sister in Christ is doing. And so Paul is saying to Barnabas, he's the instigator, obviously the churches are in his mind. And he says, hey, we've gone through this missionary journey. We've preached now. We've been down to Jerusalem. I think it's time that we go check how they're doing. Why? So what I did is I just looked at a few verses because at other places he writes to churches. Not necessarily these Gentile churches from the first missionary journey. But you can see Paul's heart. Why would Paul lay this down in front of Barnabas and say, let's go visit the churches? So here's a few scriptures. This is the first one. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. And we've spoken about this one quite a few times. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. As Paul is sitting down on his sofa watching TV, who is he thinking about? He's thinking about the churches. He's concerned about them. He wants to know if they're okay. Are Are they coping with their new faith? Are they coping in their pagan environment? He cares about the church. I think that's the way that he felt about the Gentile churches. Romans 1 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Paul is saying, hey, I want to go back to these churches. I've learned a few new things. I've grown in the spirit and I want to go carry this over and make these Christians strong with some spiritual gifts. i want to go lay my hands on them. Maybe when I go back, there will be some new converts in these churches and I can touch them with the spirit of God. Um, here's another one. if this works. First Thessalonians 2:17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned interesting wording by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. What do you see there? Paul's longing for these people. They don't have Facebook to go check out photos quickly of the people. They remember Jack and Jill and Sue and Dan. They, they can s- imagine their voices, uh, the people that they've baptized and taught, and, uh, but, but, but they long to be with them and see them. It, and the text says it's an intense longing. So we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff we can unpack here. But a big thing that stands out for me is the Paul is saying, it will make me so happy when I'm with you. It will give me such joy to be with you. Why is it? Just a question I'm throwing out. We need to discuss this one day. Why is it that many times us Christians don't find it joyful to be with each other? Like we don't really want to go out of our way to be with each other. What's different between us and the apostle and these Christians? Think about it. And this verse I love. First Thessalonians 3, 10 to 11. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. And supply what is lacking in your faith. We want to strengthen your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul had to fight Satan. Had to ask God to clear a way to get to the saints. And we've got cars. (laughs) I can drive now to the saints. Have we become complacent? Is it the the culture that we are within, that we take one another for granted? What is it? Anyways, these are some of the reasons and some of the texts that I could pick up as to why Paul would say to Bonos, hey man, let's go back and visit these guys. Let's strengthen them. Let's go receive some joy. Let's go improve their faith. Because we're concerned about them. Paul believed in planting the seed of the gospel. That's what he did in the first missionary journey. But he also believed in watering. So we planted. Let's go back and water. He's a good gardener. Like Shannon. People get cancer, for example. And then they want to start eating healthy. They, they, they develop uh, diabetes. And now suddenly they want to cut out sugar. This is why... Um, In a sense, I would say this is really why it's good. I hope you you could see the connection between spiritual health and and physical health there. But um, this is why, for example, routine church attendance is good. It's good. You might not feel that you need to go, but you go. Because you're maintaining the system, your immune system, your spiritual immune system. Um, So... We take care of our own spiritual lives as we take care of our own bodies. But also, we should consider one another. What I mean by that is, we don't have to just call people when they get sick. Or when they have lost a loved one. It's not like Paul is saying, okay, we're going to go visit all of these churches because I've heard the Romans are killing these guys. That's not why he's going back. He hasn't heard bad news. He wants to go strengthen them. It's not an emergency that takes him there. Why don't... Yeah, I don't know. I wrote something here. I've got no idea what I'm talking about. So I'll just skip that. Um, So, don't wait for an emergency before caring for someone's health. And I mean that spiritually. And I'm talking about our own health and the health of others. If we have an opportunity to lift somebody else up, then we can do that. The point is this. If we keep one another refreshed, we will never go thirsty. Why wait until somebody's thirsty before we want to offer him water? (laughs) All right. That's what I... Unpacked there from verse 36. Now, let's get into the conflict. Verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Right? To go refresh the churches. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. Do you remember why? Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. That's Paul's reasoning. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. I'm not going to go with you anymore. I'm not going to work with you. So sharply. And it's not like, you know, today we're not going to go eat lunch together. It's like, no, for the next few months we're not going to see each other. And remember, Paul and Barnabas went together to Antioch. They did the first missionary journey together. They went to Jerusalem back uh, down there and back now again. They were like almost soulmates on the mission. And boom, split comes in the middle, and they depart. So this isn't like a, um, see you later. This is like, I want to hit you in the head, please go, type of disagreement. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul, he chose Silas and left. So they got new partners. Interesting. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. you, You need to think what's happening here. Okay. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, let's start at one point. Who was Mark? What do you remember about him? Anything? John Mark? Could, could be, I'm not sure. Um, maybe you're right. Sorry, I didn't have that information yeah my brain was overwhelmed from this morning so what i do know is this i'll just recap a few things it was at john mark's mother's house that the church and that was in jerusalem so john mark's mother lives in jerusalem okay it was at her house that the church was praying while paul was in or peter was in prison and was released and remember he came and knocked on the door and said, hey, and they said, no, it's not, it can't be Peter. Remember that? That was at her house. That's the one thing. So it seems like he's a native from Jerusalem if that's where his mother lives. He was the son of a sister of Barnabas, which is possible then that he has that Greek background, right? In other words, he was Barnabas' nephew. Which makes sense as to why they have this relationship, right? He's also the person that started off the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, okay? Why? As their helper, you're supposed to help them. And I think we spoke about that briefly when we went through that section of text. It's like they're going to go on this mission to preach the gospel. Can you imagine what type of help they needed? Or making food. Setting up the tents, whatever. It would be great to have a helping hand, so that you can focus on the ministry instead of having to worry about how we're going to cook food for tonight. I'm using an example. Just after the trip, this first missionary trip, where's the first place they went? If you remember, the first missionary location they went was Cyprus, the island, right? And they went through the whole island, and then they preached to the what do they call them, a procurator or whatever, proconsul. The proconsul they They preached the proconsul. And then from there they went over to Pamphylia. And that's the second time that they hit land. And then they went up north and they went through all of those towns. When they landed there, Mark said, I'm going back. Guess where? To mama's house. To Jerusalem. Maybe he was missing his mommy. Hello, mommy. Perhaps back to his family, back to the church. Now, let's, yes, here's the map, just so you can see. That's where they started. They went through Cyprus. They get to Perga. And there the real mission started. Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, right? But John Mark, he said, okay, I'm going to go with you guys. But then when he got there, he turned around, he went back to Jerusalem down there. Just to give us an indication. Now, now we've got sort of the background of the guy, Right? Now, Barnabas says, I want him with us. Because they're about to go on the second missionary journey. That's really what they wanted to do. Okay? And Barnabas is like, hey, I believe in this guy. He's my nephew. Right? He's going to be of benefit to us. So he needs to go with us. He's worthy and he's effective. Barnabas, would you trust Barnabas to make that judgment? Now, think about Barnabas' character. He's the son of what? Courage, man. He's a good guy. When when, when Paul arrived in Jerusalem and the the people didn't want to accept him, who was the guy that said, hey, come here, buddy, let let me help you? It was Barnabas. So Barnabas always gives people the benefit of the doubt. So Barnabas is perhaps more gracious and merciful instead of down the line. He overlooks offenses maybe a little bit more than Paul would have. And sometimes that's a weakness. Because it doesn't, it doesn't tend to better people when you're not honest with them about some faults that they might have. Anyways, but Paul, what does Paul do? Paul says, no, no man. This is not good. The text says it's, let me just go back to the verse there. It's, it's, it's not wise. It's not a good idea. It's not wise to take him with us. And I think Paul, essentially, if if I had to make a guess as to why Paul says so, is he deserted us previously. So we needed his help, and he withdrew. He wanted to go back to mommy. And he left us all alone. Number one. Number two, not only did he desert us, this is why it's serious. It's fine if he deserts us, me, Paul, and he leaves me hanging dry. That's fine. But he deserted the work. Look at what the text says. He deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in what? The work. And the work is what matters. Who knows what Luke 9.62 says? This, by the way, is a verse that we've got to memorize. It's easy for me to say that. I mean, I'm sure you've got verses that you remember that nobody else does. Whoever puts his hand to the plow And looks back. Back to Jerusalem. You put your hand to the plow. Let's go to Cyprus. Let's go into all the world. Let's go preach the gospel. I'm going to help you guys. My hand is on the plow. Oh, I want to go back to mama. Whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not what? Fit for service in the kingdom. So Paul is perhaps maybe having that in his mind. He went with us previously. He said he's going to go with us. And then he turned back. Then he's not fit for service. And now you want to take him again. Do you think that you can find yourself in a position where you can agree with both Barnabas and Paul? Paul, you have a point, man. We don't take people with us whose who who's yes isn't yes and no isn't no. And Barnabas is like, hey, you are saved by the grace of God. And you don't want to give him grace and give him another chance? Two perspectives. Both potentially Correct. We are speculating, but that's sort of what I think could have happened. And so what happens? They split. They split. Barnabas took Mark. Paul took Silas. They went into two different directions. And you know what's intriguing for me? The church seems to bless this. The church doesn't interview, no, guys, you need to come together. Be one, sort out the issue. The church just commends them. Weird. Was it just me that thinks it's weird? I think it's weird. Like, you have two preachers in this church that's at a loggerheads, and then we decide, okay, guys, we're so happy that you guys are not working together. Great. Let's keep it like that. You do that, you do that. Like, you know? Now, how do you feel about this? How can such powerful, spirit filled people in ministry disagree? To the extent that they separate from each other totally. How could that even be Christ-like? Now, a few thoughts that came to my mind. (coughs) Three thoughts. This is what I was thinking as I was grappling with this. Just because you are a Christian doesn't mean you will always get along and agree with all Christians. It seems like if the apostles could disagree with each other and go on and the church blesses it, that there are certain instances where it's okay. If apostles can have sharp disagreements, we are not immune to it. And it's okay to disagree. It is not okay. Listen carefully. It is not okay if it hinders the mission. And that's what we see in the text. What did they do? They still went on mission. I'm going to make comments about that. Now, I'm not hooting for... Is that right? Rooting. 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 I don't even know what that means, by the way. I probably would have used it wrong. Um, I'm not saying it's a cool idea, and it's okay for people to separate. I'm not saying that. But sometimes... And I've seen it. I've been in ministry my whole life. Sometimes it's better to do ministry apart from personalities that might halt or hinder your effectiveness. Sometimes. Sometimes it's good to rather separate. I've had these instances. I had a, a mentor who was incredible. And the point came after five years that. I, there, was, there wasn't much more to learn, and he was hindering me. His personality was in sharp conflict with the health of my family. And I had to make that call and say, well, I'm going to go serve somewhere else. And I did, and it was the best decision ever. And he continued doing what he does, and he's still my brother in Christ, and that's fine. The Bible says that we need to be at peace with all men as far as it depends on us, right? And, and that, that I feel I have try to do with most people in my life. Well, what about you? If you think now about Christians you know that you're at logheads with, sometimes there's nothing that we can do about this type of conflict. There are a very few people that's been in my life that maybe hates me. There's probably been some that distance themselves from me. And there are people, I know, that I distance myself from. And it isn't ideal when that happens. But I got thinking about it. I have to accept that some people, listen carefully, this is just me speaking. I need the opinion check. Okay. I'm touching wood you. I have to accept that some people I just cannot deal with. Or don't know how to deal with. While I am in this body. This flesh. This world. And I will have to wait for heaven. To continue that relationship. Now I know that might be wrecking your brain right now. Oh you must be able to get along with everybody on the earth. Before you die. Every Christian especially. And remember, this is my opinion speaking. I'm not quoting scripture yet. I I saw something similar. I listened to a debate last night. Dr. James White is debating a guy that is a living homosexual, but that um, he's not practicing it. And they're debating whether you can be a gay Christian. Is it possible to be a gay Christian? To have um, gay temptation but still be a Christian. And it's a very interesting, very interesting debate. And Dr. James White says to him um, at one point in the debate, look, if you were at my church, I would not put you in a position of leadership. Because, but I wouldn't say that you're not a Christian because you're not acting on your temptation, right? But I wouldn't put you in a position of leadership. And then the guy responds a little bit later on. And he says to him, well, we will never be in the same church here on earth. But I'm looking forward to have a relationship with you in heaven one day. Interesting. Now we can go debate that, but it's sort of, I thought about that when I was preparing this. Now, here's the question you might have why would it be easier when I'm in heaven to have a relationship with certain people? Why? Well, because then I'll be stripped of my flesh, my human desires my human way of thinking. I'd be stripped of Michiel's sinful thoughts because the Bible seems to indicate that we are being sanctified continually by the Holy Spirit but we'll never be perfected here. The moment I die, I'm transformed into the image of Christ. Sin is gone from my life. My judgmentalness drops away. My, my, my motives changes. Everything changes. Nothing matters anymore when you die. You don't judge people by what they say to you. And that, can you imagine the peace of being in heaven that you can no longer look at a human being regarding their faults? You just see them as good and great and you've forgotten everything they've done against you. Isn't that something looking forward to? It's really. Because sometimes my flesh, our flesh, hinders us from connecting with people the way that I think God wants us to. And it's part of the struggle of being in the flesh. So why is it easier when I'm in heaven? Well, because then we will be stripped off the flesh and its effects. We will be made perfect. In other words, all sinful motives and ways and personality traits will be gone, and we will see each other as we are, just souls saved by Christ. I look forward to that. My opinion. The second thing that I pick up is this it's okay to work in different parts of the vineyard. It's one vineyard, one owner of the vineyard. It's okay to do it in different parts. We don't always have to work together in the same place on the same thing. Sometimes we cannot control our personalities and it clashes with people. Well, if you're going to clash with people the whole time, rather go work in a different part so that the work can get done. Some people are missionaries. Other are local evangelists. Other are internal teachers. Some are house-to-house shepherds. It was interesting. I've seen this over the world. I've seen people that's like, they want to go into Taiwan and go preach the gospel. And they feel that what they're doing is the only thing that can be done. And local preachers and churches, that is not. But they're all adding to the kingdom. They don't have to be in conflict with each other. Okay, that way. So that's, that's the second thing. The third thing I see is this sometimes splitting up will create more effective ministry. Look at what happens. What was their plan originally? Paul goes to Barnabas and he says, Hey, let's go visit all these churches. Let's go on this mission. And maybe Barnabas wanted to take who with? Mark. So they would have been three guys. Going one direction. Then the conflict happens. What do you have now? Paul takes Silas. Barnabas takes Mark. And they go two directions. Do you think they can cover more ground? Absolutely. So splitting is not always bad. It's simple math. Perhaps this conflict was used by God for the good. But through the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say something here. I don't believe this story is giving us license to split from brothers and sisters. And I'm not talking about church splits here, by the way, I'm talking about relational struggle. Instead, it teaches us that sometimes it's best for ministry to do so, to move on. The split some, is sometimes better. To give each other space to grow. Now here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of this whole lesson tonight. This is the most exciting part for me. Who knows what happened between Paul and John Mark later on. 2 Timothy 4 verse 11. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark. I don't like the guy, he mustn't be with me. Now suddenly, get Mark and bring him with you because he is profitable to me in my ministry. Isn't that incredible? The guy who didn't want Mark with him now says, yes, I need him. He's profitable to me. Absolutely beautiful. So I spoke about all kinds of splitting and stuff like that. But let me guarantee you this. If our hearts are good, I think if both parties get closer to Christ, both parties will connect with each other again like this. The problem is, as we go on with our lives, one of the parties don't, just don't want to get closer to Christ. And their personality is in the way it doesn't mean that they're not saved necessarily it just means that they're difficult to deal with so now some somehow things changed what happened i don't know i would suggest one of two things either paul's heart softened towards mark maybe him and barnabas had a conversation and again in the future or whatever and said, hey man, um, rethink about him, or Mark repented and matured. I can't put my hand to the plow, and look, I'm dropping these guys. Maybe that changed things. But in both instances, it took time. It took time. Time is a wonderful thing. It gives people space to move and grow, and reflect, and introspect. If you ever experience conflict with someone, it's not always necessary to fight, Or to flight. Sometimes it is good to just give some space. So time can bring some wisdom. And healing. That's all I had for tonight. Any thoughts?